Hello and welcome. My guest today is myself, and that's because David Perel graciously asked to interview me. And David Perel is a writer and the creator of Rite of Passage, an online writing school focused on building the next generation of internet citizens. In March of 2020, I stumbled across David's account on Twitter, and I was blown away. He was insightful. He was thoughtful. And he's someone that I greatly admired. I still do. So when he suggested to interview me at his brand new studio, I was honored. And some of what we talked about in this conversation is stuff that I've never spoke about publicly before. And that's because David's ability as an interviewer to sit with the silence, to ask deep personal questions is unlike anything I've really ever experienced. In this conversation, we spoke about some of my podcasting secrets, how I do my research, why I admire people like Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, Chris Williamson, and Taylor Rooks, the biggest area I believe I need to improve as a podcaster, and what I'm usually doing on Sunday at noon. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody you think will enjoy it as well, whether that person's a creator, a builder, a writer, an interviewer. If you think someone's going to enjoy it, send this directly to them via text or share it on Twitter, tweet about it, share it to your audience on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you listen. That would mean the world to me. That helps this podcast grow. If this podcast grows, I can get better and better guests, hopefully conduct better and better interviews, and it'll just be a better experience for everyone. So share this podcast, rate it if you're on Spotify, please, and I hope you enjoy this episode with David Perel. Here's a little preview of what to expect. The Sunny Times was my attempt to take over the New York Times. What? You're yeah. seven years old. I was in first grade or kindergarten, not sure which one. And I turned to my friend. Because obviously that's what <laughs> first graders think that they can do. And I turned to my friend mm. and I'm like, mm. why don't we take over the New York Times? All right, Danny, everyone wants to know one question about you. This is the question everybody asks. How do you research your guests? We need to know what the secret is because you do this better than anybody else. Well, first of all, David, this is phenomenal. This is so great. I love the studio. What you've done here is amazing. Um, how do I research my guests is a process that is just inherent to me because I'm, I'm such a curious person. Mm -hmm. Like I, I go and I will... I'll meet somebody and then I'll just stalk them on Instagram or Google, like just in my normal day-to-day -day life. And I thought that was like a relatively normal thing to do. Maybe it's not, but I think that stems from my curiosity. But how do I go and research? I say to myself, okay, how can I learn as much about this person as humanly possible? Mm -hmm. And I just think about, all right, what are the avenues that they've produced content on? Is it a podcast? Have they appeared on a lot of podcasts? Is it Google or can I search YouTube? Can I search Twitter? Like, and it's just a lot of brute force and mm -hmm. just a lot of time. And it doesn't feel like a lot of time when I'm in it. It just feels like, oh, this is me enjoying this person and learning from them. And I only invite someone onto the podcast, no matter how successful they are or how interesting they could be to other people, if I get the feeling and the sense of like, oh my God, I can't wait to dig into this person more. What do you like looking for? Personal history, ways they think, mental models, like what do you think through? So 
I'm looking for things that make me go, huh, that's interesting. Like if I can feel myself have an audible reaction to something they've said or a way they have approached the world, I, I make a note of it. Mm-hmm. And I really try to make note of my own reactions and my own um, like surprises in any given moment. So when you're doing your research, are there non-obvious places that you look? I've heard you say, hey, do top tweets of all time. What mm-hmm. else do you do? There's this app called Tweemex. Have you heard of it? Oh, I love Tweemex. That's yeah. how I did this research today. <laughs> it's like you pull up someone's Twitter profile on Chrome and you can easily see someone's top tweets or most interesting things that they've said that have resonated with people. So my friend Zach Pograb showed me that and I was like, wow, this changes the game for my research because I used to use Twitter advanced search. But it's also like going to the seventh page of Google. Like it's it's going to the random places that and, and just following my own curiosity on any given person. Yep. Tell me about this this story that I've heard. Um, I guess you're like 12, 11, something like that, and you tweet at Gary V, and then Gary V calls your mom. What happened there? Yeah, so that happened when I was 15, and I was writing a, a New York Knicks blog at the time, and I, I really wanted to go to Gary V's book signing because when I was writing this blog, I was saying to myself, I would love for for more people to see it. And who are the best people at getting people to see things? Mm -hmm. Well, Gary Vaynerchuk was one of those people. And so, because I was following Gary V, he was also a Knicks fan, and was following me and following the blog, there there was some familiarity there with him. And I wanted to go to his book signing. I tweet at him, hey Gary, I would love to go to this book signing, but I can't, it's a school night, and you know, I wish you the best of luck. And he says to me, oh, no problem. What's your mom's number? And he, he out of nowhere, calls my mom on the spot, leaves her a voicemail. I end up going to the book signing. We take a great picture together that I put as my Facebook profile picture of like the present and future of American business is what I put as my Facebook profile picture, 15 years old. <laughs> and uh, I went on my merry way, but it, it really stuck with me because it just went to show that like giving somebody a little head nod, a little wink. To somebody in that moment, I couldn't really do anything for him. He was just doing it from the kindness of his own heart. I've since told that story, no joke, hundreds, thousands. It's been seen tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of times. Like, That's wild that just one situation, one kind thing that he did 10 years ago, or now 12 years ago, mm-hmm. has been replayed so many times. And just goes to show like what a good human being he, he is and what what just one kind act, what the ripple effect it can have. Hmm. Actually, what I take away from that story is how early you started. Hmm. So what's the thread that you've been on since you were that age? So I started a, a blog at 13. Okay. Like a, a time management blog. That's how I stumbled across Gary V. You, time management at 13? What yeah. 13-year-old cares about time management? <laughs> so I guess the time management was an attempt to like, figure out how to be happier. And if you look at the podcast today, it's like, it's really at the core of it. It's trying to figure out how do we have the most happiness or meaning on this floating rock in space. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that at 13 and it was really in me. I don't know why that was what I was called to do, but it was. And I was interested in that. And I did that for three months. And it, I started, I think, in like April. And then by the time summer rolled around, I was like going to sleepaway camp. And then I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um 
then 15, I started that in the summer and then that went for a year and a half. But the time from 15 to 25, Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like I wanted, it was a couple of different things and you could, you could frame it to be whatever you want it to be. You could frame it as like school beat this out of me, this, you know, I was this, this writer and I could have been this writer and I was focused. Or you could frame it as, well, I just wanted to experience more of what kids experience, Mm -hmm. generally high school, college, parties, fun. And so I think that's kind of what I was like, "Ah, I want to go to college. I want to be a normal kid. I don't want to be writing a blog while all my friends are going to parties. Like I want to go to parties too. So that's kind of like how the next, like pretty much eight years spanned was just like, and then it was me finding myself back to the place of writing and coming to that place at like 25, 23, 24, 25. So, yeah. How has moving to Austin impacted your creative process? There's so many amazing people here. Hmm. Like people who I resonate with at such a deep level and people who are writers, who are curious, who are thinking, who, and when you're surrounded by that, it naturally seeps into your being in Mm -hmm. some way. And it's, it's an incredible thing because I've, I've never really felt like, oh, I want to say I'm from a city before. New York always to me felt like, ah, there's too much money there. Like it, it's too finance and money. Where in New York are you from? I'm from Long Island, New York. And, and so talk to us about Long Island because yeah. I think you said New York and I thought Manhattan. So yeah. tell me about Long Island where you're from real quick and then we'll come back to Austin. For sure. So Long Island is, is kind of like the cousin of New York City, Manhattan, where it's just like all the people who are, I mean, my experience of it was a lot of people, their parents worked in finance, their parents worked in law, their parents worked in business in some respect in New York City. And a lot of the conversations that happen in Long Island are around money. And that, that's always been my experience of it. And it took me moving away to a different place to really understand that and come to terms with that. And so when you're growing up in something, you don't think it's unusual. You just think that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Then I lived in San Diego for a year and I was like, wow, this is entirely different. No one here cares about money at all. (laughs) People care about how happy are you feeling? How, how, how much are you doing fitness and how much are you like meditating? Like that was what was valued. And it's interesting to see like what is valued in different places. Mm. Um, And so for me, it feels like Austin my experience of it has been it values creativity, it values writing, it values people who are forging the future in some respect. And that whole thing is kind of novel to me. And San Diego to me felt, oh, this is too, this is too hippie, this is too woo-woo, this is too, too much from that perspective. Then New York felt like there's too much cutthroat business, money. Austin, to, from my experience, feels like a nice mix of both. Hmm. Tyler Cowen has a line where he says, everybody is a regional thinker and that they're deeply influenced by the place that they grew up. And so how is Long Island inside of you? It's inside of me in that I understand what it's like to care about school, like what school you're getting into being an important metric of success. Long Island's in me in the sense of I know what a, a quote-unquote ideal childhood looks like. Hmm. 
Like, that's what I think of when I think <clears throat> of Long Island. Like, the white picket fence, like, I live that. Mm-hmm. And so Long Island, to me, represents the American dream for a lot of people. And do you feel like you're running away from that? Or do you feel like you want to recreate that for yourself? I feel as if I just want to live my own dream. I don't want to live the dream that somebody instilled or said that I should have. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like as if I'm running away. I don't feel like I'm running toward. I just feel like I'm doing my own path, I guess. And, and I've, I have deep respect for people who never had that experience and who are chasing that because it was pretty good. Like life was pretty good. And I'm really grateful for the childhood that I have. So I think it is something to aspire to. But because I've experienced and lived it, not to my own choosing, but just being born into it, I, uh, I just I want to forge a different path for myself. I like being in this position on your podcast because I feel like I have full liberty to ask you extremely personal questions and have it be so on brand. (laughs) Um, So then what's behind your ambition? I was, like I said, I was given an incredible starting point in life. And to me, the best way to honor that starting point is to do the opposite of playing it safe. Hmm. It's to dream as big as you possibly can because you know your parents love you. Mm-hmm. Like you know like it's all good at the end of the day. So why not dream big? Why not go crazy? Why not be like, all right, if this is the thing I love, whether that be writing or podcast, why not do it to the extent that I can only dream of? And not to say that there's going to be fulfillment in achieving whatever that crazy ambition is, but the journey of trying to get there is really exciting to me. And you do one level up and you meet another person you really admire and then another and then you get better and then you learn more about yourself. So it's like, why not do the thing to the best of my abilities if I've been given a great starting point in life? What does it take to be a great podcast host? I'm trying. a great interviewer. I'm trying to figure that out. Every day is, I'm trying to figure out that out and trying to uncover that deeply within me. Um, but I really think it's having deep presence and I think it's part for how I want to do it. It's part being a really good therapist. Hmm. It's part being a really good researcher mm-hmm. and it's part just being really, really present. And if you can like find out how to do all those things in the moment, you you really can help somebody get to new insights about themselves. Hmm. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to have somebody walk away and be like, oh, I understand myself 1% better now. If I can do that a thousand times, 10,000 times, which I hope to do over the course of my lifetime, like that to me will be good podcasting, just the way I want to do it. I mean, for someone else, it might be a completely different answer because podcasting as a whole is so broad. But yeah, I mean, that's how I want to do it. And that's how, when I do it well, that's what I'm doing. Am I doing a good job right now? I'll let you know by the end of this. (laughs) Okay. so tell me more. So how do you actually improve your craft? Like one thing I've heard you say, you hear a good, you hear a good question, mm. you rewind it, you listen to it, you deconstruct it, you figure out what's going on. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So that's just like a little practice I've come across because I'm like, there's no school for how to be a good podcaster. So I basically need to create my own school. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I notice is like, all right, I'm going to be listening to a lot of podcasts. I'm going to be listening to a lot of interviews. And it's what I enjoy doing anyway because I'm curious. So when I hear in someone's voice, 
this changed the way I think about myself or this is an interesting insight, this question is an interesting insight into the world. I stop and I'm like, what's going on there? Why is that person having that reaction? And how can I help create the same experience for a guest in that moment as well? I, I mean, other things I do. Well, hold on, yeah. how do you do that? How, like what are, break that down for me. I mean, you hear something that stops you. I mean, a lot of people hear something that stops them and they move on with their day, which is an understandable thing. I really try to sit with it for a second, for 15 seconds, when you press that 15, rewind 15 or 30 seconds yeah. and, and try to listen to it three, four, five times to be like, all right, how did this person say it? What was the tone? What was the inflection? Why, what was the specific sequence of words? And I know you know this so well, being a writer, it's just like, you know that you could say the same exact thing, but then you change three words around, it means something entirely different. Mm -hmm. And what I really understood was, I'm trying to understand communication. I believe communication is a window into our own soul. Mm -hmm. And so when a person does really well in business or creates a business, that is a part of their soul they're communicating. When we buy things, when we wear things, those are all forms of communication. And so what I'm doing with just trying to zone in on a podcast, trying to zone in on a question, is trying to understand how do we communicate and how is this person using a question they have in their own mind, helping to communicate themselves to a place of, of trying to help the other person understand themselves at a deeper level deeper level. Who do you really admire as a podcaster? Joe Rogan. The way he is able to sit with somebody and just let the conversation be whatever it is, but also get things out of them that are only inherent to him that he cares about. I really admire the way he's so peaceful within himself, but is also willing to learn and try to expand beyond his horizons. I, I admire Tim Ferriss for his ability to ask such deep and thoughtful questions and really understand the words that he's using and choose them precisely and being, being willing to correct himself in the moment to change the question. Oh man, it, it, it gets me so excited. I admire Chris Williamson for his peace and presence to let the conversation go wherever it's willing to go, similar to Rogan, but to do it with research and thought Rogan does it like this conversation can go and we can talk about whatever we want. And there's some beauty to that. But what Chris does that is so phenomenal is his ability to direct those questions. He's not just trying to talk about anything. He's not just going to talk about the random thing that he sees on the news. He might bring that up, but it's going to be in a pointed and interesting and insightful way. And I really admire his ability to do that while remaining okay with whatever happens. So what's the Danny style? I don't know. Probably some combination of all three of those and and as well as other people that, that come in. I, I hear a lot, something that happens a lot is a guest will come on and the comments from that podcast will be like, huh, I've never heard this guest in this light before. Or I'm so happy Morgan Housel came on this podcast and he wasn't asked about money or finance. Or Iman Godzi came on, I've never seen him be interviewed like this. Because I'm, no one else could possibly interview him like that because I'm going through their archive and I'm finding what is interesting to me, what is insightful to me, and that's what I'm asking about. No one else could have created that podcast, right? Like Naval talking about your unique edge is doing something that only you can do. Well, no one else can have that podcast because no one else could have my life experiences and then figure out the things that are insightful to me. So I, I try to make it as unique and as personal 
as possible. And the Tim Urban approach of, okay, I'm writing for an audience of one and I really appreciate my own writing. And so therefore I think my bet is that other people will enjoy it as well. Mm -hmm. You spoke earlier about fashion and communication. What do you want to say in your fashion? What do you want to communicate to the world? This is definitely an area that I, I haven't focused on at all with. And I'm, I feel as if based on how this room is designed and how, <laughs> how you're dressed and how you, you operate, you've given a lot of thought to that. I've given zero thought to my fashion and I've gotten comments about it too. Like, oh, I wish you would dress better. And also, I'm like, all I could think about is the conversation itself mm -hmm. and trying to like, it's one piece at a time, right? One piece um, of the puzzle at a time. And if I, if I get overwhelmed with, you know, like trying to fix my fashion before I fix the conversation itself, then I think that's putting like the wrong thing in the, in place. But yeah, I, I don't know. I need your help with all the fashion. That we I could talk about <laughs> it. I mean, I don't know if I'm particularly good at it, but. <clears throat> but you give thought to it. I do. I do really value how things like aesthetics. I think that there's, there's so much that you can say through aesthetics. Mm. Um, and I'm interested in that. Like this shirt is um, a shirt from uh, Maddie and one of my favorite EDM performers. And these are all of his visuals on a shirt. So cool. So I got this and I love wearing this thing. What do most people misunderstand about the real Danny? I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what people think about me. I think that that's probably a misunderstanding is that because I'm doing something that's externally facing, I am doing it for the external praise or, or recognition. Really what I'm doing is an exploration of myself and an exploration of the people I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm trying my best to not, not care about this podcaster does this or this person does that. I'm doing my own journey and I'm on my own path. And does your family get what you're doing? Uh, some some pe family is very broad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some people in my family certainly get it. And it surprises me how well some people in my family get it from the the idea that like they they weren't raised with the internet somebody like my grandma gets what i'm doing but it's like a wild that thing. is wild like you she, have an impressive grandma yes tell she her is. that i said that she's absolutely impressive she'll be listening to this like the fact that Hi, she, grandma <laughs> the fact that grandma is listening to this podcast and knows what a podcast is and like that to me is so inspiring and just my grandpa being so smart and innovative and just how he thinks and how deep into history he is. And just, I have so much good things to say about my family in general. And they, as a whole, they really do get it at a deep level. And, and for that, I'm really grateful. When you're talking about your grandpa, you said smart, innovative, and deep into history. Why did you choose those words as the mark of somebody who you respect? My grandpa has carried himself with so much class, so much love, so much discipline, so much kindness, so much hard work, and has given me so much from the perspective of, of like a role model or a model to choose from. And, you know, I say innovative in the sense of, this was like, I want to say 1970, he started running because he enjoyed running. And then, 
he met up with some friends and was like, oh, they enjoy running too. And then by the end of, I don't know, like his first year of running when he was 40 years old, he had a whole running club and it was like a fraternity of runners that just came about because in his head he was like, ah, I see a guy running the marathon. Like I could do that too. And, And it's just like, that to me feels innovative in some way. Like it feels to me like that was, he didn't, he didn't care about Facebook groups or Twitter. He didn't have access to any of the things that I do to build a community today. Mm-hmm. But he was doing that in his own way, just based and following his own curiosity and interests. I, I admire how he, he cares about history because history is a, a, a pointer to the, there's been so many experiences of life. And for those people like Morgan Housel who can really dive deep into history, it shows you like this person is their scope of understanding is greater than the present moment. Um, yeah, and so I don't have enough great things to say about my grandpa because he uh, he's just an incredible man and I, I've played around with the idea and I've thought of the idea the other, the other week of like, what if I just interviewed my grandpa and like created a little book out of it? Like I really think that could be impactful and not just for myself to understand, but like no one knows who my grandpa is. He's not famous by any means or like known, but he should be. Like mm-hmm. he, he definitely should be. And and uh, I hope I can live through some of his attributes and values so that I can, um, so more people can, can understand the, the feeling or the touch that he had on my life. What is something that in your craft as a podcaster, you don't feel like you do as well as you would like? I would say there is, I would like to be more present. Hmm. Um, You know, I do, I feel like sometimes there's a script in my head of like, I want to make sure I hit this point and this thing and this thing. And it's not good unless I do this. And it's like, what if it's just perfect the way it is? And what if I can just like be there with the person because maybe the best thing that they say is just like being present requires me to have trust with myself (laughs) that I can come up with the next thing to say. And so that muscle has grown over the past two and a half years, but I think I could be better at that. And I hope to be better at that at the five year and, and 10 year mark than I am today. I was listening to you, so I have no idea what I'm going to say now. Exactly. So now I'm going to go to my pre-recorded questions. <laughs> exactly. See, which is, it's, it's hard. Like, it's hard because you, you're like, well, I want this to be insightful for the other person. I want to be there with the other person. I've done a lot of research, so I want to make sure that, that I'm using what the person said to go and use that in my research. Like, there's so much going on, and yeah, I just have such admiration for people who do it well. And it's also different because it's an entirely different experience when you're doing it online versus in person. Like it's two different things. The notes are different. The way you're communicating, the amount of times you can check the notes Mm -hmm. are so different when you're doing it online. And I've probably done less than 100 in person. And it's like, that's wild. Like, because you would think that it'd be the same exact thing. It's not, it's not at all. The rapport and the connection you have with somebody, it's all way different. And so... I'm, I'm trying to, um, 
just do more in person because I know that it can be even more impactful for not just myself, not just for the person who's on the other end, the receiving end, but also the listener as well. When you're going about your day and you have negative internal chatter, what's it saying to you? I very little negative chatter. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm blessed and hit the genetic lottery. I don't know if it's the hundreds of hours of meditation. I don't, it just so quickly turns to, oh, like I got this, like it'll work out. Like where am I in the present moment? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how exactly that came to be, but the negative chatter I probably was way more of an issue for myself before 2019 and starting to meditate if I really had to like pinpoint that. Um, but I just have a lot of belief in myself. I have a lot of confidence. And I know that when I do have negative thoughts, like, oh, that's just, just watch it. Like there's something interesting and insightful about that as well. So I don't spend a lot of time beating myself up and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how things can go wrong. I just don't. How have you changed since you've started the podcast? I'm better at taking the thoughts that are in my head and bringing them to reality. And it's a skill that I didn't even know was a skill prior to starting the podcast. But if you can bring, if you, if your thoughts can better turn into reality than anything else, like that is a skill in and of itself. And there's such power in that. And you only get better at that by doing it a lot of times. Um, I've also just become more curious. A lot of it's, you'll hear people, I'll hear people talk to them in conversation and I'll be like, they'll say, that's a great question or I never thought about it like that. And I've never got that my entire life. So I must be getting more insightful or might I'm probably getting more perspectives on the world and therefore gaining more of a sense of, different realities Hmm. and it's like the more realities that you can you can grasp the more chance you have to bring a new reality to someone else and so if you talk to 300 people you're gonna have a lot of different realities if you read 300 books you're gonna have a lot of different realities Mm -hmm. and so the more and like i often find this in that good writing is often just comparing two things that you don't expect to be compared Mm -hmm. and that's just comparing two different realities so how the podcast has changed me is i'm i have more comparisons and more people to choose from and more ideas to choose from which makes the experience of life more rich and gives people a chance to understand themselves better Hmm. besides conversations and podcasts what what inspires you Good writing really inspires me. I'm really inspired by writing. Um, I've found that like the podcast comes to writing a lot. And what do you mean? Like I'll ask questions like, why do you write that? Like, Mm. how do you write that? What's your writing process looks like? I, and if you think about me being 13 years old and writing the, the time management blog, there's something deep within me to write. And then even before that, like six years old, seven years old, writing a newsletter called the Sunny Times. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, tell me what's that? The Sunny Times was my attempt to take over the New York Times. What? You're yeah. seven years old. I was in first grade or kindergarten, not sure which one. And I turned to my friend and I because obviously that's what <laughs> first graders think that they can do. And I turned to my friend mm. and I'm like, mm. why don't we take over the New York Times? 
He's like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. And I don't know why I got that idea. I don't know where that comes from. And it, and it just makes me think like, ah, oh, maybe this is like pre-planned in some respect. Like maybe I don't have a choice in what I'm doing and what I'm building and what I'm creating. But writing inspires me because it always has. It always been, has been how I've been most comfortable communicating. And I haven't, I don't consider myself a great writer by any means, but I, I consider myself as somebody who knows what great looks like. Hmm. And so as long as I have that, that idea for what great looks like, I feel like it's only a matter of time until I actually get to that point. If I'm consistent, if, if I actually set out to try to get better as a writer, but um, yeah, my, my eye for writing has always been there and it really inspires me because it's just like write, good writing is a window into the soul. You have a note on your phone called questions for podcasting and interviewing. So I'm gonna ask you some of them. Please. What do you worship? That's the first one on I know. the list. I know. <laughs> it gets deep, right? Um, at this particular moment, I think I worship my guests. Hmm. And do you see worship as a negative connotation? Because David Foster Wallace, who I would presume this is who this came from, or no? No. Oh, interesting. No, okay. it's not. I don't know where it came from. Um, it might have come from him. Have you read his What Do You Worship? No. I'll send it to you. He Please. goes, what do you worship? And he says, worship this, and you'll have this issue, worship that, right. you'll have that issue. It's a, it's a very compelling paragraph. Yeah, it's like worship does have a negative connotation to it. Yeah. But I looked at it as a positive, which just goes to show the, how my mind works. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I, I worship my guests. And, you know, I mean that like, wow, like I really admire them. And whatever, whatever person I'm talking to, I'm like trying to, trying to worship them in that moment. Like, and, and because I think that's how we really understand things. Hmm. We worship them. Mm-hmm. Like the people who worship religion and worship God, like they are understanding God at a deeper level. And so hopefully one day I'll be worshiping my children or wife or future wife and future children. But like, I think we also worship things at different moments and maybe a wife, a life well lived is just worshiping the present moment. Because if you can worship the present moment, you can be where you are and you can experience life more fully. Yeah. What does the hero of your story want? Right now in this particular moment, the hero to crush this podcast. <laughs> yeah, to crush this podcast and hopefully like build the podcast up into being able to talk to anybody in the world. Hmm. Right? Like how cool to me. It's the coolest thing I can imagine of like I would like to talk to that person. Oh yeah, let's let's do it. Like let's really get an insight into their soul. So I think the podcast is just a way for me to expand the surface area of people that I can actually have in the room and actually talk to. And so I'm trying to trying to build that up and that's what the hero of my current journey wants is just build the, the biggest podcast that I possibly can. What values are non-negotiable for you? Discipline and love. Hmm. Discipline. Wait, and, why did you say that? So boom, like what is it about? I've thought that? about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, interesting. It's just every other question, there's been a pause and then you've thought about it. I just, it's interesting. I want to call this out. You said discipline and love and it was instant. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Um, discipline is like you can't get anywhere 
I, I haven't found that I can get anywhere without discipline. And discipline to me is saying I'm going to do something, then actually doing it and following through on my word. Love is so important because you could do things that you say you're going to do, but if you do them with, ah, I hate the world, ah, this, this sucks, ah, like you're missing the point. And love in the sense of having people around you that you love who you can share the journey with. It's really cool when something amazing happens on the podcast, but it's even cooler that I get to call my mom and my grandma and be like, yo guys, you won't believe what just happened. And, and that call to my friends whom I love, like, be like, yo, like, this happened. That to me is just as meaningful as the actual cool thing that happened on the podcast. And so discipline and love are, are two of the most important values. And I think that's why I admire my grandpa so much is because he's a living proof. My dad, same way, living proof of, Discipline and love being the key ingredients for a life well lived. In your hero's journey, is there a devil, an enemy, someone who's you're against the dark, the dark force? I mean, my initial inclination wants to say no, but if I had to really answer that, it would be like hate and hatred to me represents the opposite of both discipline and love. Hmm. And... It's why I try to meet. Uh, some people have, have astutely pointed out the how I react to negative comments is with love. And because that is my subtle way of trying to fight that fight, of trying to build more love into the world by meeting the negativity, by meeting the, meeting the hatred with some love of my own. Hmm. Because it, it makes someone say, like, why? What's going on? Uh, so many times people will comment back like, oh, I didn't expect you to actually see this or wow, like I, I didn't mean it like that or whatever it may be. But it always strikes me that, you know, sometimes what the reason why we have hatred is just because we, we don't feel like we're seen, we're understood in that moment. And it's, and because I don't have that feeling, I, but I have had it in the past. I resonate with, with that. And I'm like, oh, like, I, I know this person just had a different point. And so if I can meet that negativity, if I can meet that hatred with love, like maybe that person, it will make the other person curious, curious enough to be like, what's going on there? And make them investigate further. Discipline implies a, a resistance against the entropy of the world or laziness. Yeah. What do you find yourself resisting the most? I would say writing. Writing is because I, I have the podcast on a schedule because it's like, it's like, all right, I'm posting Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This has become a routine for me. In this particular moment, it's like, all right, I don't have a routine for writing. I don't have like, all right, I'm going to show up every day at, you know, for three hours and I'm going to put my thoughts into the world. So I face resistance to do that, even though it's something that I admire, even though it's something that is, I know is useful, even though it's something that's helped me a lot, I've, I resist against it, maybe because I haven't made a priority. But. And when you get distracted, when you don't follow through on what you're trying to do, what's gotten in the way? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure what is getting in the way. And I, it's like also like the micro and then the macro of it, mm-hmm. right? Like on, on the micro, you could be like, wait, I, in the micro, I'm good at being like, all right, I'm going to write for two hours and then I'll do it. But it's like in the macro, I don't have a plan for I'm going to do this at this specific time um, and do this at this this way. So, I mean, what gets in the way? Like the podcast gets in the way. Mm-hmm. But I do feel as if I'm like keeping the muscle alive by tweeting often my random thoughts and by just putting stuff out there in the micro form. And I know I'm not I'm sacrificing something because it's not long form thoughts. It's not expanded thinking which is definitely would be more beneficial but yeah that that's my current state of affairs with writing do you are you prepared for the life that you're gonna have once you're famous is that something you think a lot about i i must have made an agreement in before this lifetime because i i'm I'm ready for it. Even though I know it's not a desirable thing, even though I know that it can have more drawbacks than it can have positives, like it's both, like I am 100% prepared for it in this moment to the best of my abilities because I believe it's the price that I have to pay to get the ideas that I want out into the world. Hmm. Um, And I believe it would be selfish for me not to take the discipline and love that my grandpa instilled in me and bring it to the world. I, I feel a sense of obligation to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I've told my mom before, like, I hope you know, like life won't always be like this. Like I, and she's like, let's do it. Like she's ready to come along the journey. And, and it, it sounds like almost odd to like, know you're going to be famous someday, mm-hmm. but I feel as if it's a foregone conclusion given my work ethic, my discipline, and my love of doing something that is public-facing. Tell me about Taylor Rooks. You got really into her <laughs> interviewing style. What is it about her? Oh, my God. She's phenomenal. This woman can get NBA athletes and MMA journalists and, and MMA fighters to open up in an incredible way. She's so present with them. She's so there. And... When she interviewed Israel Adesanya, one of my favorite UFC fighters, and she's and he's saying, "Oh my God, I've never said this to anyone," and he's admitting about the time that he <laughs> that he jerked off to make weight. Oh my God! Like, and he's never said that in an interview before. But why did he say that? At I think the 50-minute mark. It's because he felt really comfortable <laughs> with her. And so, if you can get somebody to say something so personal. And so, and he's like, I don't want to say this. And she's like, ah, you don't have to, but like, it'd be great if you did. And she did it in such a beautiful way. I was like, oh my God, this woman is incredible. Like, and so I immediately was like, ah, I got to have her on the podcast at some point. She agreed to come on. Hopefully we'll, we'll figure out a date in 2023, but she is amazing. And I highly rec- like, I'm so happy you brought her up because she is somebody who like, is not a Joe Rogan, is not a Chris Williamson, is not a Tim Ferriss that I immediately come to mind. But she's someone who is incredible at her craft and I believe she works with Bleacher Report and for good reason. She's so, so talented. Hmm. So tell me more about this getting stuff out of people. Yeah. What's, what's behind the art of that? You have to be really comfortable with yourself because people can notice when you're uncomfortable with yourself. And the more comfortable you are with yourself, 
the more someone's going to be like, ah, he's good with him. She's good with her. So I'm more willing to open up. You have to really care and show you care. But at the same time, you, you can't be pushing for that other person to open up. Like they're going to do it if they want to. And to be, to be there with them for whatever they want to share or don't. You have to have like a level of non-attachment and attachment mm-hmm. at the same time. And so, yeah, I think it, it really starts though with being peaceful with yourself because it comes across. Like you know when someone's not peaceful. You know when someone's playing. You know when someone's acting. You know when someone's real. And so to get someone to open up, you first need to open up yourself and be okay with whatever you see. You ever study Rick Rubin? One of my favorites. I can't wait to read his book. It's coming out in a week. I'm so excited. He's such a great, uh, just such a great human being. Why, why do you bring him up? Well, you go first. Why, why do you like him so much? I love Rick Rubin because he is somebody who is living and everything that happens is just a byproduct of him living. He started, I think, a record label. Def Jam. Def Jam. Russell Simmons. Yes. NYU dorm room. (laughs) You know the history way better than I do. And he started it because he just liked the music and was like, well, the things that I hear when I go to music shows aren't the same thing that is being recorded. It's like, well, that's that's a huge insight. And so he's like, I'm going to make that. And then, you know, he, he slowly over the decades worked with musicians and worked with every type of musician. And he's not trying to do this so more people know him. He's trying to, it, from my perspective, feels like he just wants to have fun with life, play with it, be a student of it, learn about the ways people express themselves. And I'm just really in awe of his, his ability to, to get the most out of people creatively, but also to just live a life that seems like it's one worth living. Why, why do you admire Rick Rubin? Goes back to the po- point about Taylor Rooks mm. and getting stuff out of people and what it means to be a good podcaster. And I think that when you start a craft, your hands are on the wheel, you're gripping tight. Like you ever go go-kart racing or mm. anything like that? By the end, like your hands are ripping, like, yeah. it, you know, your bones hurt. It's, it's, it's actually the exact same feeling, but all through your hands that you get during the SAT after you've written the entire essay, you know, your whole hand hurts. And so when you start a craft, I think it's a lot like that. And then I think you end up moving into Rick Rubin vibes where he will basically lie down in the room and he's just a vibe. He's yeah. just a vibe. That's it. And the artists that he works with, they time and again say, we couldn't have made it without Rick. And Rick didn't say anything the entire time. He was just there. And so I'm like, how is he just a vibe? And I think that people who are really good at their craft do nothing more than just these light little shifts. And Kanye said, Rick Rubin isn't a producer, he's a reducer. And I love that line. And I just think that there's something in podcasting that's like that too, where you start off with all the questions and you're really prepared and you're focused. And then over time, you just have these little Rick Rubin touches, these little flicks that sort of steer the conversation in the right direction. 1,000%. 1,000%. And what what you notice from watching Rogan is just the vibe. Like people are themselves in a way 
on Rogan than they are anywhere else. Like it, he gets the best out of people. And it's because his vibe, because of his energy is what I believe. And Rick Rubin's got the same thing. And I oh man, I can't wait to read his book coming out, I think next week. Yeah. Incredible. Can't wait to dive into that. What's something that society really values that you just don't care about? Credentials. Credentials are the biggest one. And it started for me when I was 15, writing that next blog. And in order to go to this thing called Media Day, Media Day is what happens when all the players come around and they sit at tables, or at least this is how it worked 12 years ago. They're sitting at tables and the reporters come over and they ask some questions. And I'd been writing my blog for about three months and I wanted to go to this thing, Media Day. All the reporters were going. I figured, you know, I'm a reporter too. I'm writing this blog. I should go. And I send an email to the Knicks PR department. I send them my blog stats. They say, okay, cool. You can come. Here's a credential. Dan Miranda, Knicks Vision. My mother, bless her heart, drove me to the the media day, which was 45 minutes away and was honestly just incredible because there was some talk my mom my dad they were like gosh he should go he shouldn't and my mom was like no he's gonna go he's gonna skip school and go to media day and so I show up there and they're like dude you're 15 years old what like what are you doing here like why are you here the NBA players were asking me that too the reporters like a dude Frank Isola he was a reporter for the Knicks, wrote an article about me after that stays with me to this day because he's like, this kid is 15 years old. Like, he was at Media Day. This kid is destined for something. Wow. Um, but it was in that moment that I realized, oh, I'm the only 15-year-old here. I did it without school, without education, without any credential, without any newspaper saying that I can go. Who needs all of that? Who needs a job? Who needs this? Who needs that? I can do it on my own. And so it was really in that moment where I, I kind of scoffed at the idea of like needing school or needing somebody to tell me that I could do something. It's like, no, there was no other 15 year old who did that. I did. So what does that tell me? It's like, oh, I don't need the things that people seem to value in the society. Mm-hmm. What's the most painful setback that you've had in the past few years? It's like, I, because I'm so curious about the world, I'm sometimes attracted to the new over the timeless. Mm-hmm. And something I admire about you a lot is just your ability to focus on really thoughtful, timeless ideas that, are, that stand the test of time. For me, it was like, oh wow, what, are this, what is NFTs? Like, this is interesting, mm-hmm. this, is, this is cool, this is exciting. And it's like, whoa, like, I, I love this. And like, you can make money doing this? And wait, what's going on? So I get, got distracted and that distraction led me to work in a job that I didn't like, but I thought I might. What were you doing? I was hosting a podcast on NFTs and I was like, all right, well, this combines two things that I love. So I must love this. And it turned out that one plus one equaled negative two in this scenario. <laughs> uh, but I was, I was just, I looked at that and thought that that was an opportunity that I wanted. Turns out, and like, also, there were, I was really excited by the idea of making money, doing something I loved, and combining my passions. Like, it seemed like a perfect world. I do it for three months. I'm like, I don't like doing this. 
this is not helping me do what I want to do. And I don't think I can, I don't think this is the path that I'm supposed to take. But there was a lot of resistance in that moment of like, well, shoot, like I said I was going to do this. Like, what should I do now? And there was like a month period where I was like really, really struggling. And you know, I eventually started doing the podcast again, my own podcast. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is what I've been missing. And so it took that moment. It's like you look at like someone who's like 70 or 80 years, years old and they've lived so many different experiences that they know themselves so well. And so I guess what that situation was was just me not knowing myself that well and how should I, right? I'm like 26 years old at the time. So I have a lot of empathy <coughs> and grace for myself, you know, for that situation. But I, I definitely was a dark time for me and, and was one of the biggest challenges that I, I've had to overcome. You have this line I like. I don't interview people about what they do. I interview people about who they are. Explain that. I think this goes back to the NFT stuff. It's like when I was doing that, I was interviewing people about what they did. How yeah. they make their money in NFTs. And I was like, why don't I like this? Why isn't this fulfilling to me? Why isn't this interesting? It's because I'm really trying to understand someone's soul Yeah. when I interview them. I'm really trying to figure out what makes them tick, how the experiences of their life have made them uniquely interested in expressing themselves and communicating in the world. And so it's not podcasting. Like podcasting is a broad term, but it's really just podcasting is the term that I use to really try to understand someone's soul at a deep level. And podcasting when done, done well, from my perspective, is really going deep on figuring out who that person is, what makes them tick, and, and really trying to sit with them in that moment to let them know like, that thing that you did in third grade or seventh grade, like that was awesome or that sucked, but I love you as you are in this moment. And uh, just really try to appreciate that as much as I possibly can. You talk about I want to understand who these people are. I've, I just came up with a fun little game. So I'm going to go through different times mm. of the week. I don't want to know what you're doing. Saturday at 10.30 p.m. It's a great question. I, I should steal that. I should <laughs> write that down. Like, what are you doing at this time? Um, it depends. It, it totally depends. But a lot of times, this Saturday at 10.30 p.m., I will be researching podcast guests. <laughs> so... Yeah. Is that normally what you're doing? Yeah, Saturday? I would say 80% of the time it is. So you don't really go out? I, I do go out 20% of the time. I'll Exactly 20% or like one in five nights roughly. I, I mean, yeah. you're the kind of person who would be like 20% <laughs> of the time. I do it, you know, two times in 10 weeks. Like, I'm not putting that you, by you. You okay? are that person too. I am that kind of person. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, but no, it's not that. It's just a general feel. Like if I had to 80-20 it, it would be like 80% of the time I'm working, 20% of the time I'm going on a date or, or I'm going out. Yeah. Tuesday, 7 a.m. Sleeping. Sleeping. Yeah. So you're a little later riser. Yeah. I found that the best for me is like 1 to 9, 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. If I want to get my eight hours in, like that's, that's my window. And I think there's a, I want to be the pushback against like you need to rise early mm -hmm. in order to be effective in the world. Like we live in a world that clones you 24-7 if you're doing it like we're doing it in terms of creating and putting yourself out online. And so I really give myself a lot of grace for sleeping at odd or nocturnal times. Like, and I even see it in my grandpa as well, who 
goes to bed at like one or two. It's just, it's maybe in my DNA to some respect. And so, yeah, I'm sleeping at 7 a.m. usually on, mm. on Tuesdays. Sunday at noon. Sunday at noon, right? I think that there's a great essay, isn't there, about like what you do on Sunday is, is most determinant for like what you really value? Is that right? I mean, I could have just made that up, but it just like, I, it feels like I've heard that idea somewhere and it, and it just points, it's so true. Maybe I should write about that because I don't know where exactly that came from, but like Sunday points to what you value, right? Because there's a lot of people like day drinking on Sunday, doing football, watching football. A lot of people are going to church. Of course. Some people are, right now, Sunday at 12 p.m. listening to a podcast, researching a guest or editing one. How do you listen to podcasts? Uh, anywhere from 1.75 to 2x speed. Um, and that's how I listen. Like, how, do you take notes? Yeah, yeah, good question. I only take notes if I believe I'm going to have the guest on at some point. So like, I keep files on different people that I'd like to have on someday. Like... Like before Gary Vaynerchuk agreed to come on the podcast, two weeks before, I started a note in my phone of like, why did Gary do this? What what happened in this situation? Why did Gary buy Kanye West.tv? And I'm like, I'm going to ask him this someday, not knowing that someday would be a month later, mm. like unexpectedly. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I I take notes on it. So the things that interest me about the person that I want to ask about in the future, but I don't, if I'm listening to like a random um, podcast, it's not like I'm 100% of the time going to be taking notes on it. You walking inside? Yeah, good question. Um, a lot of times on the, on the river over here. Lady Bird Lake, baby. Lady Bird Lake. My daily walking spot. Yeah. I run into someone every single time. And every time I'm like, I'm on the phone or yesterday yeah. having a difficult conversation. Yeah. Like it, it's always, you're always running into people. That's one of the best things about Austin. Yes, 100%. That Austin is just such a place of, of just connection and community and people. And it feels like you see someone everywhere you go. Um, but yeah, I'm usually walking. Um, it's very rare for me to, listen to a podcast, sit, sit it down or seated. Um, but it does happen on occasion if I'm watching on YouTube. But yeah, that, that's so no more sports. Um, I keep an eye on it because I do think sports, I don't have as much love as I did for it when I was writing a Knicks blog, obviously, but I'm cognizant of what's happening. I'm broadly aware but I'm not so in it that I know all the details. Just resign the Knicks will never win the championship. <laughs> they will. I'm sure over a long enough time horizon. <laughs> the year was 3087. <laughs> the New York Knicks have won their first championship. I just anchored a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Some podcasting heuristics I've gathered from you. If you want someone to feel seen, either bring up something that they've written a long time ago or something from their past that they're proud of. Yeah. It's interesting because if you do research from someone or on someone, you know more about them potentially in that moment than they know about themselves. Hmm. And so if you want to get someone to learn something new about themselves, one of the best ways to do it 
is to go into their digital archive or physical archive if they've written books and be like, oh, like I saw you you wrote down on page 274 that this happened. They're like, oh, I forgot about, I forgot about, that was my first book, not my, he's on his seventh or eighth. So it's just a a little way to make someone really feel appreciated and to wink at them. I think Mm. that's what it is. It's like, yo, I care about you. Like, and people see that, they feel that, they feel more comfortable, and then they're willing to share more than they would have if they, if you just winged it, so. And when in doubt, shut up. Because people will tell you, you're there to facilitate the vibe. You're there to facilitate whatever is on, is that person's reflection in that moment. I'm going to be different today than I was yesterday and I'll be different tomorrow. But can you capture the essence of that person in that moment? Best way to do it is just to not say anything. That person will tell you exactly how they feel in that moment based on the things you said. So, yeah, I think it's an important thing that that uh, I think I got from, I think you wrote about that at some point. And so I uh, I stole that. Yeah, I'd have a piece of paper on my desk that just said, shut up. (laughs) Yep, it stayed with me all these years. Because when I started the podcast, it was, I was like, okay, who's done a podcast? All right, David Perel's thoughtful, he's done a podcast. And then you wrote about that and stayed with me all these years. Yeah, I mean, part of it is many of the best things that happen in a podcast happen once somebody initially thinks that they're done and you just give them an extra second yeah, and then they find something else and then they go on a new kick and there's something about after that initial pause, I th- maybe it's the, the nascent thought that, you know, the, the young thought that was, or actually sort of the pre-packaged thought is probably the right way to think about it. The pre-packaged thought is out and now they're in something that's beyond that. Well, because silence points to one, I'm comfortable with myself and therefore I'm comfortable with whatever you're going to say. Silence says all of that hmm. in that moment. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful that you could say so much with literally nothing. So, Have you found anyone who writes well about conversation? Hmm. I read Larry King's book and that was pretty solid. I don't remember specific takeaways in this moment, but I remember thinking like, ah, this, guy's, this guy's got a good, good pulse for conversation after doing it 60,000 times. So he was an early inspiration for me. You ever watch Larry King? Yeah. Um, then, and Gary Vaynerchuk actually said like, Gary Vaynerchuk was asked who's the best communicator. And he said Larry King was like the best communicator. That really stuck with me. It's like, oh my God, like that's what the reps do. Like Gary Vaynerchuk's a great communicator. And for him to say that Larry King's the best, ah, I was just really taken aback by that. That's interesting because they're so different. I know. And he's gotten interviewed so many times, Gary has. And then to hear that like his favorite interview or the one that he believed got the most out of him in an interesting or compelling way was Larry King. I was like, okay, like there's something to note there. So, yeah, I haven't stumbled across really that many people who write about conversation, but I'm always open if anyone has got any good links, send them my way on Twitter because I'm, uh, I'm always looking for good writing on conversation. What's the market inefficiency here? 
everyone's in conversations. Wouldn't it be worth it to write about conversations more? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is this a challenge to me? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a weird thing about the world, right? Like, people have conversations all the time. Yeah. Maybe your kinds of conversations are different, but you're a podcaster. Yeah. You're obsessed with conversations. I just asked you, yeah. is there writing about conversation that you think is really good? And just shrug your shoulders. <laughs> so either you are blind to something in reality, or there's this weird gap in good books about conversation. Definitely. I'm, I also think I'm at the point where I'm learning. And it's like, you make someone, I mean, and you learn by writing as well. So it's not an excuse by any means. But I kind of think about it like, all right, someone's played basketball for two and a half years. Now they're going to write, or they're going to write a book about basketball. Like, it doesn't make sense. But to write about basketball could help them learn more about it and could help other people who are just starting out their basketball journey or who and could help yourself learn more about the thing as well. So, What's your favorite kind of ethnic food? Chipotle. <laughs> Does that count? Wherever you go. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to mind. I love Chipotle. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't where does that Where does that question come from? Just trying to get to know you over here, you know. Yeah, I'm trying to see the 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 true Danny from all these from all these different ways, you know. Yeah, food is something that I just don't I don't think about. Like a lot of people, a lot of people like dogs. A lot of people like food. A lot of people like all these like passions and pursuits like football like i just don't like any of it like mm. i it's not that i don't like any of it i just don't care enough about it that it's going to subsume my entire being hence i don't spend a lot of time thinking about it mm -hmm. and so food is one of those things where i'm not like all right well if i don't try this type of like i, I told nat Eliason that i had uh chipotle like pretty much every day that i was in austin and I still do and he looked at me as if i just killed like just like an animal or something like you just like looked at me like this is disgusting like here's where you got to go you got to try this coffee you got to do it. and i respect it because that's his thing like he loves that i don't like food to that level i just like protein and rice and meat and i'm good like just give me protein sweet potato like we're, we're good mm -hmm. <laughs> see i learned a lot about you, you did. that was one of the most revealing answers of the entire podcast so I'm going to ask something ridiculous, you know, equally mm -hmm. ridiculous. I'm trying to think about what it is. What kind of music you listen to? Music's another thing just like that. I'm not passionate about music. I listen to every type of music. I went from listening to country to pop to rap to uh, like 70s, 80s classics. Like I listen to everything, uh, but I don't have an affinity towards one. And I don't have an affinity really towards music i care about music from the sense of communication from the sense of business like hmm. i love russ and what he's done with his own brand and how he's built himself up independently and gone from all right i released songs for 10 years and it didn't work and then all right let me try to figure out how to do this so that more people can understand it i really love mike posner but I don't like Mike Posner just for his music. I like him for the things he does outside of his music, that he walked across America, that he spends a lot of time meditating and thinking about how to be thoughtful in the world. Like, 
I admire admire musicians, but I admire for how they show up in the world and how they brand themselves and how they communicate themselves outside of their music just as much as the music itself. So if you had a whole day in Manhattan, like what do you do? I mean, <laughs> I'd probably go to Madison Square Garden if I'm just like, all right. I'm shocked, yeah. <laughs> like, like, well, you could combine the Knicks and you could you could see a, a vision for what I, I want to achieve, right? Like, I, I want to... I want to, someone's like, all right, we know it's your vision to sell out Madison Square Garden for a live podcast. Like, how do you actually practically envision that? I'm like, well, one way is to just go there to my mental place mm-hmm. every day and, and just imagine the 19,763 people. Another is just like, if I was to go to New York City, it's just to go to New York City. That was Ci- pretty good, by the way. Yeah. 19,763. Like it wasn't 20,000, it was about 19,000, it's 19,763. That's a Knicks fan right there. Yeah, well that was in the Knicks days that I was covering them, so it might be more, it might be less now, but I like to throw that number out there because specific numbers stay with people and they're like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so what else do you do? I mean, I'd go to Chipotle, I'd go to the gym. Where I am doesn't impact what I do, but I do notice that the place impacts on me. Hmm. So I like doing the same things in Austin that I like doing in New York City, but I did notice the, the way in which New York City shapes you is to have a different focus for the things that you're interested in. It's like you're more interested in making money in New York City than you are in Austin. I, I am. I'll speak for myself. And so it's like, what do I do? The same things I do in Austin. Just I get something. What, what's happening there? Why do you think that some things, some cities imprint on you in a way or like their values seep into you? What's happening there? You asking me? Yeah. I mean, you inhabit, <clears throat> do you know the word milieu? Mm, like cultural milieu. Yeah, it's such a good word. Let me get up the definition. And I think that th- I just need this word because I think it just nails it. I mean, so this is actually one of my pet peeves. Google Dictionary is so bad. Is it? So what you need to do is, so listen to this. So milieu, a person's social environment, okay? Yeah. Now, I'm going to do Webster's 1913's dictionary, okay? Okay. And it is crazy how much better this definition is going to be. Webster's 1930 dictionary or 30? 1913. 1913 dictionary. Okay. I'm not getting it's, it. It's not working, unfortunately. It's not working. Okay. Anyway, a milieu is like a, it's such a good word. It is an environment that is like all encompassing that you're like, that just surrounds you. And is like every place has this energy and you know it's it's entropy right like what ends up happening is we go to match our social environment this is what naturally happens and you see this with you know you see this with air right like all the cold air rushing to the hot air right which is why we have steamy showers in the morning and so as humans we are deeply social Creatures. I mean, this is actually the lie of all enlightenment thinking uh, that humans are individuals. We're mm. actually, my favorite metaphor is that humans are like violin strings and that 
when one violin string is plucked, the other ones actually begin to move as well. Now you could put your finger over a violin, over a violin string, but then now you're putting effort on the violin string to sort of prevent it from vibrating differently from the one next to it. And I think cities are the same way. And so we become like the people we inhabit. And humans actually aren't super individuals like we think. We are very influenced and persuaded by advertising, by the media we consume, and then by the energy that we see as well. So there's actually a direct correlation between how, f how fast people walk and how big a city is. And it's f it is telling that we are surprised by how much we're influenced by our environment. I think it speaks to a lot of things that we misunderstand about psychology. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think that it is, it is unbelievable to me how different I can be just based on moving locations and how that opportunity was not given to, you know, 90% of people who have ever lived, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I can choose a location. That's like a novel concept that we take for granted today. I took for granted. And, but when you really sit with it, it's, it's pretty remarkable that you can be like, all right, I like the people in this place. Let me go to it. Stephen Pressfield writes about put your ass where your heart wants to be. Mm -hmm. And he means that in the micro sense of like put yourself in the podcasting chair if you want to be a podcaster. But he also means that in the macro sense of like, oh, you want to be an actress Go to Hollywood. Go to the place where you're getting, you will get rewarded for the thing. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, Austin is, is that place where my heart wants to be. It's a beautiful thing. Outside of podcasting, what's on your bucket list? Hmm. Raising a family. Hmm. Like, I'm instilling the lessons that I'm learning to the people listening to the podcast and to myself. But it's like to be able to do that to a human being or human beings and be able to guide them along their own journey and watch it unfold is something I'm really excited to do. So having a family is definitely on the bucket list. What else? I'd like to test myself physically just because I think the physical actions are a window into our soul and if you could like push yourself to a, a limit or push yourself past the limit that you thought you had there's some real wisdom that comes on the other end of it and so nothing pops to mind of like i want to run a marathon or i want to do an ultra iron man whatever but like that is something that that sticks out to me of i want to want to test myself physically what got you into the podcasting game what got you into the game of of creating and I'll sort of share my assumption behind this that drives this point. I think that there's moments in our lives where we hear something, see something, watch something, feel something, experience something that makes us say, I want to do that. Hmm. Did you have a moment like that? For me, I never, I was always attracted to podcasts, but I didn't know why or didn't stop to question. I never wanted to be a podcaster. Like that wasn't my ambition at the start. At the start it was, I enjoy having phone conversations with people. Hmm. How do I do this more? So, oh, and also these phone conversations should be recorded. 
like the podcast came to me because I put out on Twitter, who wants to talk on the phone? And then I had 20 phenomenal phone conversations that I was like, those should have been recorded. Like, why weren't those recorded? Because someone out there sometime in the future can gain value from the things that I've, we've said in this conversation. So I should put those out. Um, so that's how the podcast came to be. And then the moment that I realized I wanted to take it seriously was I recorded my first handful and I was like, oh, I love this. Like before I'd even publish one, it wasn't about the publishing of it. It was just about there's more depth to someone you can get when you record it, when they know it's recorded. And I loved exploring their soul and, and being able to ask them personal questions and really understand them at a deep level. So yeah, that, that's kind of the origins of it all. All right, how'd I do? <laughs> how'd I do? Uh, dude, it, it's cool. You're, you're so smart. You're so, you think about the world in such interesting ways. And so because of that, it's, uh, it's an honor to be interviewed by you because you, you were somebody who I looked at and I was like, ah, David Perel, he's doing life the right way. And so, you know, it, it's so funny. I was listening to John Bellion yeah. uh, yesterday. And he's got this great line of like, you know, now my heroes ask me where I'm from. Mm. And there was definitely a point very early on looking out on Twitter in March of 2020 being like, David Perel, that's a hero of mine. That's somebody who I believe is, is approaching life the right way, operating with optimism and kindness and intelligence and doing all the right things. So then to be interviewed by you is a true honor and a true pleasure. And I'm really grateful for that. And I can tell how much thought you put into every moment. So thank you so much for being you and showing up here today like this. Thanks, man. It's good fun.